Welcome to the Wordsmith Podcast. I'm Josh Bennett, lead pastor here at Awaken Church, along with Matthew Grady Calhoun. Hey. Shane Suggs. What's up? The boy, Connor Hawk. What's going on? And uh, we are here recording on the first day of MLB season, April the 1st. You guys excited about baseball season oh, kicking yeah, off today? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe we are all Braves fans at the table, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So thought it'd be fun today to start off talking about who is your favorite Brave of all time? For me, number three, Dale Murphy. Oh. Yeah. He's my favorite of all time. He was just, I think the height of, if I remember correctly, the height of his popularity as a Braves, because I believe he played for two or three other teams after the Braves. Um, but, man, I just, I don't know. I just always liked Dale Murphy. He was a great guy. I mean, like, oh, yeah. even, like some of them are, like, really good ball players, but they could be a jerk. Or, but he sure. was just, man, he was just the kindest yeah. um, guy, at least he. Did he ever make it into that. the Hall of Fame? I know it was, like, borderline. So. Yeah, not yet. I, I think he actually – well, I think he's ran out of – you know, you have to make it by a certain time right. when you come off the ballot. I think he's actually reached the extent. I didn't know if he made it in his last yeah. year or not. That's a crime. I want to go to he, his restaurant. If I'm correct, he still is technically – he's not eligible in the normal sense, but there's still the senior um, where they do the particularly old, older players or what yeah. have you. So he may still get in, but it'll still be like years from now, I think. To me, it's a crime if he doesn't make yeah. it in. Yeah, he was solid. He's got a place they say down down the street, a restaurant down the street from the new stadium called Murphs. You ever yeah. seen it? Have you been up there? Or? Yeah, I mean, I know he has a restaurant in the stadium. Uh, they said there's another one down the street. Huh. I mean, I, I hadn't heard of it. This may be apocryphal. Uh, Dale was Mormon, correct? Correct. Yes. So when Ted Turner was trying to convince him to go ahead and come play baseball and not do his Mormon mission, I'm pretty sure Ted Turner called him and pretended to be God. Oh my! <laughs> Which is really just excuse to share <laughs> oh a Ted Turner story. Um, yeah, he's got like you know, eight or nine kids. For and... some reason, there are very few things Ted Turner could do that would surprise me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what well, does surprise me is that that would work. I apparently did. I mean, it probably wasn't actually him calling and pretending to be God, but <laughs> uh, good story anyway. Who else? Who some favorite Braves? So my uh, my favorite Braves player of all time. I want you know you want to say Chipper just because he. I mean. He is the Atlanta Brave in a lot of uh, ways. Sure. But, no, I'm going to have to go with Brian McCann. Ha-ha! Just, just always love Brian McCann. I got a little laugh Why? there because I know where this is going. I, I I love Brian McCann, too. You know, he's one of those guys that just a good old guy. And I'm laughing because that was Connors. That's Oh. So, Connor, go ahead, man. <laughs> Tell us why Brian McCann is your yeah, favorite Yeah, go ahead, Brave. please. Well, June 15, 2019, I was at a Braves baseball game, and Brian McCann was up to bat. And he had, you know, he had two strikes, you know, one ball and stuff. And they were down against the Phillies. I think we were down like two points, and we had two on. And uh, he hit. I mean, he hit a monster. Mm-hmm. And it was RBI, and it was his thousandth RBI. And we won the game. And ever since then, I just, I just liked him. And sure. he just, I don't know the way he carried himself, yeah. and the, just his facial expression every time. He was just subtle. I mean, he was just like. I just liked him. He seemed like a great guy. Yeah, he was a good dude. No doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, we actually saw him at P.F. Chang's one night after a Braves game. And uh, my, we, it was our small group from my church in Homerville. Mm. And one of our teenagers at the time saw him walking by. And he's like, hey, Brian, come here. I was like, you don't call famous people to your table. <laughs> but he came to our table and talked with us. I mean, this was like a couple hours after a game. We went awesome. to the game. And I went out to eat afterwards. Pretty cool. Um, was he a good guy? 
Yeah, I mean, appeared to be. It that sounds to him for a couple of minutes. Not that he came over, but I don't. When I envision an after baseball game mm-hmm. meal, I'm not envisioning PF Chang. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and here's what was really strange. <laughs> to me. We yeah, stayed. So. It was one of those um, where they do like a Christian concert after the game. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah. we stayed for that. But, like, he beat us to the restaurant by a ton. Like, he was actually finishing his meal before we got our food. Oh, wow. And so I was like, man, how did he get here so fast? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he came over, talked to us, took, took some pictures, stuff like that. Um, pretty cool dude. My favorite game I've ever been to, I'll shout out to Brian McKen here, was game two of the, let's see, 2005 um, NLDS Braves-Astros. Went to Atlanta, watched Roger Clemens face off against John Smoltz. Oh. It was a classic game that was decided by Brian McCann home run off of Roger Clemens. Mm, man. And, uh, man, that was just – it was the only game the Braves won in that series, so that was a downer. But the game itself was just it – was, it was a fun one to be at. Yeah. Yeah. Place was rocking. Um, I'm kind of with Matthew. It's hard not to say Chipper. Yeah. So I'm going to scapegoat this and say Chipper's the best player of my lifetime sure, as Atlanta yeah. Braves, hands down. Um, for that reason, loved, loved his, his Hall of Fame speech. That whole induction mm-hmm. was just great. Uh, you know, lot to me, it's easier to pick your top five because I'm Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz. Those guys are automatically in that top five for sure, me. Sure, yeah. But if I'm just saying who's my favorite Braves player that I've ever just enjoyed cheering for, kind of obscure, but Ron Gant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason why I remember the 1992 um, Division Series, Game 2, he hits a grand slam. I was in fourth grade. Um, just a very memorable moment for me. Very, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I grew up in the Braves are awful. Yeah, they the just, rotten years. Yeah. yeah, the rotten years. They had just started getting good, and then to have that excitement of that grand slam in game two and mm-hmm. ended up, you know, making was, those Was he still runs. on the team when they beat the Indians in the World Series? No, no, He, no. he was already gone? He had already had the motorcycle accident, which okay. put him out for a year. Okay. I believe that was 93, 94, around the strike, okay. too. Yeah. And then he went to the Cardinals after that. Okay. Um, but he would just, you know, and I was a kid. If I had a jersey, it was a Ron Gant jersey. Yeah. Loved Ron Gant, left field. That motorcycle injury really messed him up, though. Yeah. Uh, since we're talking about the Braves, real quickly, so you've got to pick either Maddox, Glavin, or Smoltz. Who are you going with? All right, well, oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Regular <laughs> season? No, 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 no. I'm just talking about somebody you rooted for. Of the three, you've got to pick one. Oh, of I was them. a Glavin guy. Oh, Maddox. Glavin guy, Maddox. Uh, I mean, you I wasn't remember around. that. <laughs> but I mean, I go back and watch some videos. I sure. mean, Smoltz, probably, yeah. Yeah. Maddox, I don't know. There was just something about Maddox I couldn't even explain. Yeah, it was his postseason record. <laughs> that helped, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, there's just something about him. I always found it easy to root for him, even when he went back to the Cubs. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, and my dad could not stand Tom Glavin. Really? I mean, I don't know what it was about Tom Glavin. He didn't like him. Maybe my mama didn't like him either. He, he would just complain about how much run support he got. And I'm like, Dad, this is your team. Why would you complain about a pitcher getting run support? <laughs> you know, but and, and Tom Glavin did get a lot of run support. Oh, sure. Retrospectively, looking back, I probably like Smoltz better than the other two just mm-hmm. because of what he did after, you know, going to the bullpen, coming back, starting. Oh, He's yeah. just a winner. Yeah. Um, and, he, you know, the troubles that he struggled through in that 91 season. Yeah. Um, it may be some of our younger listeners, including Connor. I mean, he was awful. And uh, he went and saw a sports psychologist and turned things around. I mean, mm-hmm. he became one of the dominant pitchers. In the early 90s, I really rooted for Rafael Belliard. Oh, yeah. A little the, big man. Oh, no. Yeah. no that was Lipke. Yeah. Rafael uh, yeah. Lipke was second base, and, yeah. and but, Rafael Belliard was short. Man, that guy couldn't hit worth a lick. Yeah. Man, but I, I loved watching <laughs> He was always just so enthusiastic when he played. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't know what team it's for, but he's like, He's still in baseball, like a third or first base coach. 
Well, I feel like we could talk about the Braves all day, and hopefully the Braves kick off to the season today with a victory. But we're going to transition now into 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm looking at the first 11 verses. Connor, could you read those for us? Yes. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles chose to do, carrying on an understand behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, lawless idolatry. They are, they are surprised they don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel also was preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each, each one has received a gift. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, and everything to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So Peter transitions here. We've just talked about the sufferings of Christ and how he suffered. He carries that thought over here into chapter 4, where he says, Therefore, because of the things we've just talked about, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same understanding, because the one who suffers... In the flesh is finished with sin. What does that mean? The one who suffers in flesh is finished with sin. Sure, the, there's debate there, right? So you could read that phrase because the one who suffers in flesh in the flesh is finished with sin. So that's anybody who suffers in the flesh. Or there's some translations where it will actually translate it as the one who suffered in the flesh. So that's a definite individual. That's not just anybody who suffers in the flesh. So, I mean, I tend to think of it as the definite article, but I mean, the definite one who suffered in the flesh, and he's actually referring back to Jesus there. Yeah, because it's like a it's, um, like a perfect tense, mm-hmm. I think, is where it's at. And it's there's a sense in which, because um, they were suffering, the ones that he was writing this to, they were suffering and unjustly, and he's saying, um, of course, we're, we are suffering as Christ did unjustly. But it's, I think if I can read it right, if I read it right, it's it's more meaning like even suffering to death because death for a Christian, that's the end of having to deal with sin um, because your struggle with sin at death is over. Um, so it, in that sense, you're finished with sin because you have suffered. You suffered in the flesh and then at death because you are a follower of Christ. You're, um, you're dealing with sin. Your suffering with sin is finished at that point. The, the problem, so I'm thinking about what Pastor Matt just said here. You know, I'm just referring to Christ who suffered in the flesh. Yeah. My problem is what do I do with verse 2 where it says, in order to remain, to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires but for God's will. Because that seems to tie into the same person that's talking about who suffered in the flesh. Well, I don't know what your translation does, but mine has those little marks there that refers, that's more like a parenthetical almost. Yeah. That's how I read it, at least. I guess, I guess part of my concern is, if we interpret that as, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, 
that seems to be broad to where anybody who's suffering is therefore justified in the same sense that Christ is. But as we've already kind of right. talked about in the previous episode, everybody who suffers is is not righteous. Some people are suffering because of their own sin and their own natural consequences right. of that. Yeah. So that's why I, I kind of interpret that as leading. He's just, for whatever reason, parenthetically referring back to Christ in the middle of this argument where he says, arm yourselves. Right. Yeah. So he says, arm yourselves. He pauses for a second, looking back to Christ, and then he continues his thought there in yeah. verse 3. I tend to agree with that. I just wanted to clear it up because it sure. is a trouble. Like when you're reading it, it's kind of like, wait, hold on. What, what's what's going on here? Like, because, and mine does. It does put it in the brackets no, okay. as well. But I just wanted to bring some clarity to that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We just did that really complicated passage there at the end of chapter 3, and then there's one, another little landmine kind of left over here yes. right at the beginning of chapter 4 or what have you. Yes. And then we actually move into another one yeah, we're in verse 6 yeah. of this passage. So this is this a tr- troubling um, chapter, chapter and a half to deal with. Um, and as we move on into verses 3 and verse 4, for there was already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles chose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry, they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wildful living, and they slander you. Mm-hmm. What is verse 3 and 4 calling believers to do, and what direction, I guess, is Peter calling us to here? I think just step aside and not, not join mm-hmm. them in that. Sure. Um, I think it's very easy for Christians to do that um, as Christ followers to be like, oh, I'm going to join this in them. But, you know, Peter's saying, you know, you can't do this. Yeah. Um, and the, and like it says in verse 4, um, they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. And, I mean, how many times does that happen? I mean, sure. th- our, you know, our beliefs get slandered upon because we're not joining them in the midst of it, you know, not joining their worldly activities and stuff. Yeah, I mean, Christians have, um, for most of our time on the planet, the church has been considered kind of fuddy-duddy. Like, we don't, we, 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 I mean, sometimes people will outright accuse us of not liking joy, not enjoying things. And whereas there's probably been times and places where we've taken kind of Peter's words here and applied them too far to where we're always church trying to find suffering, we're always just trying to live these doubtful, sorrowful lives or whatever. There's probably been times and places where that's been true. But for the most part, the Christian life is a life of both joy and sorrow, of both rejoicing and mourning. Um, and here, I even like how he begins that in verse 3. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. He's saying, you guys, look, wherever you were at before you came to Christ, you already spent enough time doing that kind of stuff. Mm. Now you've been called out of that. You've been brought out of that. Don't return back to it. Don't return to the old way follow this new way of Christ, even with its suffering, even with its difficulties. Yeah, I've heard people say, man, I wish I had gotten saved earlier, mm-hmm. or I wish I had come to Christ at a younger age. And, and Peter's point is, look, you, you spent enough time doing that. Yeah. You know, and it ties back to what he says in First Peter um, chapter 1. Like, don't go back to your former ignorance. And I think the whole gist of what Peter is calling believers here to is to leave the life of sin behind, yeah. move forward. Um, much the same way Paul says, Many times the old has passed away and all things become new. And um, he mentions specific things. Um, now, of course, this isn't a list that's going to give us every sin that we need to look at. Sure. But he said, avoid evil desires, unrestrained behavior, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. And um, I guess you could almost even say, just to name a few. Yeah. Right. You know? We'll see a lot of these that he actually names uh, a lot of uh, pagans or, or a lot of um, 
Gentile believers that worship false god, these were part of their worship to those mm-hmm. false gods were were right. these sort of things. So it, it, maybe he's referencing that sort of that sort of thing because all sure. those are kind of grouped in underneath how they worship these idols. Yeah, I mean, coming to Christ is a radical change for anybody. It's a little different for us because we kind of live in a post-Christian society or what have you. But for them, I mean, they're coming out of paganism. This is still so new. So, I mean, it's there's almost certainly no doubt. We still struggle with sin, right? We still yes. sometimes return to our old ways. How much more so when they are literally surrounded by all these pagan temples with all of their drunkenness and with all of their orgies and whatnot. I mean, he, I don't think he's being harsh on them here. He's just saying, you've left that behind. Don't return to it. Right. You've already left that behind. Keep going. Even with the suffering, even um, with what you're experiencing now, this is infinitely better in the long run than any old way that you've left behind. Yeah. And if we're not careful, we're all prone to turn back when things get difficult yeah, absolutely. or when certain stresses or mm-hmm. pressures apply, you know, come into our lives. And so I think that's, a one, very applicable to them and their situation, obviously. But our takeaway, too, is the same thing. Don't Don't return to the very things God has saved you from. Amen. What a sobering reminder to all of us. He goes on in verse 5 to say, They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. So who's the one who judges the living and the dead? Let's talk about that judgment just a little bit. Jesus. <laughs> Classic Sunday school answer. It's an obvious answer. Sure. But, but let's talk about it a little bit. I mean, what does he mean that he's going to be judging the living and the dead? Oh, I mean, it always makes me think of the Apostles' Creed. He'll, he'll judge the living and the dead when he returns. Yes. Sure, but isn't he already in that present judging the living and the dead? Or is it, you think this is talking about like a final judgment? I, I'm thinking final judgment because it uses the phrase who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Okay. Yeah, I would tend to agree the judgment seat of Christ there. Mm-hmm. He says, okay, for this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. So that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. So here we get to this next verse that is it, it's connected to the things we just talked about in a sense that there's same some of the same controversy. What is he talking about? Preach the gospel to those who are now dead. I, I think what he's saying is by the time Peter writes this, some people have actually been martyred for the faith. And so he's not saying... He's, he's preaching to people or, or evangelistically to people who are dead now. He's saying um, that, you know, for this reason, the gospel was also preached to those and people got saved and then they were martyred for their faith, but they're now dead. So that although they might be judged in the flesh because they the people judged them while they were still alive, uh, according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards, that they're in the spirit now. It's how I take that, that he's not saying that, that, that God's going to, you know, evangelize and, and preach to those people who are dead. He's saying while they were alive, they were being preached to, but now they're dead. They're dead by the time he's writing this. They've been martyred. Well, I mean, there's nothing specifically indicating that they have been martyred, but, I mean, there's a there's a good chance that they these people that he's talking about have been yeah. martyred. So some people will take this verse and go to talk about Christ preaching to the dead, mm-hmm. um, which ties into some of the, what we talked about earlier or last week, and, you know, I made the confession last week. I tend to lean towards, you know, those that are a little more mystical or a little more supernatural. Sure. Not on this verse. To me, this one's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. That I mean, it, he's preaching to those who are now dead, but they weren't dead when they were preached to. 
Right. Um, you know, but some people will take that step. Yeah, I mean, I think the now there does tend to lean towards both what y'all, both of you were just saying. It, if he was talking about going to preach to the dead, he would just said the dead, but he says yeah. the now did. Yeah, and so it surprises me, honestly, that there is controversy about this verse, but there is, you know, significant controversy about interpreting this verse. Sure. And see, that's why earlier, whenever it said that he's he's the to judge the living and the dead, when I look at this verse, it says so that although they might be judged in the flesh, and I'm thinking that's that's while they're here, they're being judged to to some extent. Um, that maybe there's a there's an ongoing type judgment. I don't know. I mean, it's not definite, but oh, sure. that's that's why I lean that way. Yeah, and and what does he mean? So that they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards. Well, what I what I said, I, I believe that it was saying that they came out, all the stuff that they came out of, the all the these things that he mentioned, hey, you've left all that behind. I think when they left all that behind, those people were judging them for leaving all of that behind so that they were judged, that they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards like, that's that's that was their standard of living. You came out of that, and now they are judging you. But look, your only judge was was God, who you know judged the living and the dead, and some of them have passed away now. So the slander that they received was the result of the human the judging of human standards. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's that how I read it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's how I read it too. Mm-hmm. All right. That's going to take us to the deep dive. We'll be back in just a minute as we deep deep dive into Jesus and hospitality. deep dive and in the next few verses of first peter chapter four we're going to be looking at hospitality and some of the things christ calls us to so today we're going to deep dive into jesus and hospitality so how did jesus use hospitality or the characteristics that go with hospitality in his ministry the first thing that comes to my mind is jesus one of his very first miracles um at the at the wedding and reason to be that is because when we think of christian you know life we think of it's like the still our joy like we, we don't have joy and pe- a lot of people who don't don't know christ we think you know when we follow christ there's no joy but like we see this right out of the gates that you know jesus is at a wedding and he's turning water into wine and mm-hmm. um I, I just think that's a really cool hospital i mean hospitality i mean jesus is at this wedding doing yeah. this. so i mean for in that time like it, it would be true even now today i don't know why i said for that time to have a reception what we would call a reception and for them to run out of wine would be a wildly embarrassing thing. Yeah, it would. It, embarrassing is not even a strong enough term. It would be insulting, quite sure, frankly, yeah. or what have you. Because their weddings lasted how long? I mean, they, they were long. I mean, they were like weeks. I mean, it was yeah, a I feast. Was like, I yeah. know, like a, a modern day Middle Eastern wedding is about seven days. So I don't know yeah. how yeah. close that is to what it would have been at that time. But. Sure, sure. Hmm. But yeah, so I mean, it really was an act of hospitality and kindness on Jesus's part. And I do think that's an interesting angle, Connor, to, to point out or whatever, is that, I mean, his first miracle on the gate, right? Yeah. First miracle of his public ministry is, let's just keep this party going. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, you know, Jesus was often criticized, yeah. and one of his greatest criticisms was that he would eat with tax collectors and sinners, and, um, and in some sense was comfortable being with them and sharing with them mm-hmm. and showing love to them. And we've talked about this here on Sunday morning, how much of Jesus' ministry revolved around food and yeah. dinner tables yeah. and yeah. those times of social gathering. Yeah. What are some of the, so you mentioned the wedding feast. What are some other examples of that? Well, you look in um, Revelation chapter 3 or 4 when he, um, the church at Laodicea, and um, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will invite me in, I will eat with you and you can eat with me. Yeah. And, and uh, just kind of coupling that with some of the other verses, there's a lot of verses in the New Testament that says sure. Jesus saw them and he had compassion on them. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's always when it says that Jesus had compassion, and even in that verse that says, Hey, if you'll eat with me, I'll eat with you. Uh, he's not talking about n- merely food. He's talking about the fellowship around that. Like I'll have fellowship with you and you'll have fellowship with me. And so whenever he says, compa- it's always in an evangelistic sense when it says that Jesus had compassion on them. And so I think uh, at the root of our motivation for hospitality, at least biblical hospitality is having compassion for the person that you are seeking to be hospitable to. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can do it with, uh, you know, you can't, the the manifestation is hospitality, but the root of it is compassion. To kick off that, I mean, I think of Matthew, you know, when Matthew walked away from, you know, being a tax collector. I mean, Mm -hmm. Jesus, that it says, following in a couple of verses after that, it says they ate that night. Yeah. And like, he's eating with tax collectors. I mean, the hospitality of Jesus, I mean, it's incredible. And and like the, and it was so, you know, they were seen as terrible people. And oh, he was sure. still loving and caring about them. So yeah, it didn't it didn't stop him from seeing the uh, the image of God in them. Um, and also, it's it's interesting. So Jesus' approach to hospitality inherently has to be a little different from ours, because I mean, when we think of hospitality, at least the first thing that comes to mind in my mind is inviting people over to your house, right, for sure. a meal yeah. or something. Yeah. Like that. Jesus didn't even have a house. <laughs> He's like, we'll go to your house. Yeah, he would go to other people's houses or whatever. And it's, he didn't force it on anybody. Yeah. But I, that is an interesting thing I, I was thinking about during uh, the prep for this or whatever is that, you know, and I'm sure Jesus found other ways to provide and, and whatnot. But he, his commitment to caring for people where they're at yeah. is something yeah. that sure. uh, we could all meditate on and learn from, I think. And so a couple more examples that run to mind as, as far as revolving around this food and hospitality um, feeding of the 5,000. I mean, it's pretty hospitable mm-hmm. to, to yeah. miraculously create sure. food. Um, another is the anointing at Bethany where Jesus' feet's anointed. Um, they're actually at Martha's house celebrating to celebrate that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And um, then Jesus' feet is anointed mm-hmm. there. Um, another one of the more intimate moments of all of Scripture, the Lord's Supper, sure. mm-hmm. takes place in the upper room around a, a meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, and you can see also in elsewhere where hospitality was a real big deal to Jesus because he gets invited to Simon, Simon's mm-hmm. house. And then um, the, the lady anoint, you know, cries over his feet, is anointing them with perfume. And, and then people are, um, are upset with her um, because of this. Like, man, yeah. d- and like, Jesus, if you knew who that was, you wouldn't have anything to do with her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, Simon, you know, you invited me to your house and you haven't done any of the things in, in our culture that's, this considered hospitable, but she's went above and beyond Absolutely. in the area of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, great is her name and not yours, basically. Absolutely. Uh, so he he said right then, like, this, it's a really big deal, you know. 
something that I've noticed about being down here in South Georgia is like hospita- how the hospitality is so much more than being back home. I mean, I go to your house or I go to Josh's house, like, oh, you want something? Here you go. Like, it's like, here you go. Like, and I just see that more down here. And just so you know, if anybody ever gives you like something to take home, you should always bring back the Tupperware. Just want to throw that out there. Okay, yes, I do. Oh, Ashley, some of her Tupperware. (laughs) Throwing some stones there. But uh, what about Zacchaeus? Say you come down from the tree. I'm going to your house today. And and this is one of the more amazing things about Jesus' hospitality. Pastor Matthew talked about. You know, we think of hospitality as bringing people in, but Jesus had a, a presence that allowed him to turn any situation into an opportunity for him to be hospitable. Mm-hmm. And I think we also can do that. You know, we can have a way to do that. And I think hospitality ultimately is opening up of yourself to other people. And mm, sure. um, you can do that no matter what setting you're in and to be vulnerable and authentic and to not, you know, and that's the thing that amazed the Pharisees is that Jesus could react, interact with these people mm-hmm. in such a way that was natural and, and in a way that built relationships when they thought, oh, if this is really the Son of God, he should be better than that. Mm-hmm. And hospitality is really about saying, no, I'm not better than you. Yeah. You know, and um, I I love the Zach Williams song, Connor and I were listening to it yesterday, to bring it to the table. And, um, and that's kind of how Jesus was, bring it all to the table. You know, come sit down with me and uh, you can come as you are and we can work from there. And, and that's ultimately the spirit and the attitude of Jesus in his ministry. You know, that's, that's one reason I really like, um, like some of our, um, in-home awaken groups, you know, um, mm-hmm. because you have to, and that's, it's more work for anybody who's hosting one of those. I mean, you got to clean up a little more maybe than you would normally would. Repair or, some things that get broken. Uh, right. You know, um, but, um, I love them. You know, the one that meets in my house. Um, I really like, um, having our awaken group there at, um, the house. It's, it's a really cool thing to do. Yeah, we do too. And uh, having the family, ours is always chaotic because we have a lot of young children and they're running around the yard and um, going crazy. But there's just this, when everybody's together and we're eating, we're sharing, we're praying, all those things, there's just this sense of community that gets built um, that's something special. And we saw sure. too the early church, Acts chapter 2. I mean, this was practices that they had. I mean, they were dining together in, in each other's homes and they were the church was born out of a spirit of hospitality, I guess you could say, in homes. Yeah. All right, we'll be back from our deep dive in just a minute to look at this these call from Peter to practice hospitality in our own lives. back we start looking at verse 7 first peter chapter 4 the end of all things is near therefore be alert and sober-minded what does it mean to be alert and to be sober-minded uh, to use kind of 21st century language to be present yeah. to be mindful um not to be caught up in things or what have you i mean obviously the the, the immediate anytime you talk about sober-minded men you automatically think of being drunk, which is the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. right. So you're clouded. You are distracted. You are unfocused. Uh, <laughs> your your mind is uh, kind of all over the place, and you're you're or, as Pastor Shane likes to talk about all the time. You're reacting a lot. Sure, you're not being proactive. So I think that's kind of what he has in mind when he says that. Yeah, and it automatically pulls me back to verse 13 of chapter one, 
Um, that verse we talked about, gird up the loins of your mind, mm-hmm. get your mind ready for action, mm-hmm. prepare your mind for the journey. And so Peter actually talks about this, you know, a lot, that this is a mental mindset that, that we're on in this journey, that we need to be ready, we need to be prepared. Don't be slothful, don't be, um, as Pastor Matt said, unfocused. So, And he makes this connection there. He says, therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. I don't know, for me personally, sometimes prayer time is the time that I am most easily distracted, sure. most easily unfocused. And, you know, maybe I'm the only one, but I can start praying, and the next thing my mind starts drifting in a yeah. different direction, or I be, mm-hmm. start thinking about everything that I need to do. Does that happen to you guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So what are sure. some things you do to battle that, to be sober-minded and to be alert during prayer? At, um, at ABAC. We have our, you know, our own room, and we have a desk and stuff. And what I'll do in the mornings is I'll shut my door because in the morning times I like to open my door and go in and out of the kitchen, get coffee and breakfast and stuff like that. But I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll shut my door and I'll put my phone away, and I'll go to my desk and I'll, I'll close my eyes and I'll, I'll just start praying. Um, and I, because my my desk looks to a wall, so there's nothing I can look at. There's no window I can look at, and so I just I, that moment I get to pray. Before I start my day, that's what I do every single day. Well, what I've done in the past, and I do this from in different seasons, is that I will read and pray. Um, like I would read through the Psalms because um, I'm like, okay, if this is a conversation with God, like I'm gonna read God's Word. That's God speaking to me, and then I'm like, I, I would, um, I would start reading one of the Psalms, and and whatever um, I was reading. Um, that's what I would pray about in that moment. And because, you you know, when you read through the Psalms, like all of them, you, you run through the entire gamut of human emotion and in human situations. And I mean, because there, there's there's senses of anger and love and revenge and sure. all that throughout the Psalms. So, um, you know, whenever it talks about, um, you know, be being sober-minded and, and it says, you know, don't, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly and, and those sort of things. That's, that's the topic that I pray on for the next few moments. And when I run out of something to talk about, I'll read a few more Psalms and then I'll pray. There's actually a book. Uh, I don't have the title of it right now, but there's a book called Praying God's Word. And it's mm-hmm. about reading the Word and praying that Word in that moment. Because the thing is, um, I don't know about y'all, but like a lot of times my prayers sound redundant to me. Like I'm praying for the same things over and over. Mm. And so whenever I did that, I, I was praying for the same things, but they were in different contexts. They were at different times. It wasn't every day. And so it actually, during that season, you I would have a much more robust prayer life. I felt like, man, I'm really, I feel like I'm really praying, you know? So um, I've done that in the past and and you could, like, it's just easy for me to do it with the Psalms and the Proverbs. Uh, I mean, you could basically do it with any book, but those are the ones that it's actually, and that actually gives you, I mean, you could pray for a whole year and get through the Psalms and Proverbs. I mean, for me, one of the things that I, I almost have to do is I love these little, like, five-by-seven notepads, mm. and I just keep them beside me because my mind, and, and sometimes it's good wondering. Like, I'm praying, and i I got a sermon outline coming to my mind, or you know, I'm, it's my to-do list for, oh, man, I forgot to do this, or I need to make sure I do that. And that seems to be the time that my mind is flooded with those things. And so I keep that there. I, I write it down. Um, I, I will stop, pause for a second. I use that as a way to, to limit the distractions. And then another avenue of that is to journal, um, mm-hmm. to write out prayer requests, to, um, you know, kind of allow that 
piece of paper or whatever to draw me into focus. Um, so it's not just kind of an abstract thought thing. But I think the important thing here is, you know, you hear these different methods and different things that we do is to take intentional steps to be alert mm-hmm. and sure. to be sober minded during these times. And then also not to feel this amount of guilt or shame sure. if you do get distracted or you do, your mind does wander or whatever those mm-hmm. things are, but just mm-hmm. trying to find ways to be proactive uh, moving out of that. And he says, above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, that is a a verse that I hear quoted all the time. Yeah, Love covers a multitude of sins. So even though we hear it all the time, what does it mean? Well, that is a quote from Proverbs 10, 12. So it might be helpful to read that proverb right quick. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. Whew, that'll preach. Come on now. Hatred stirs up all sorts of controversies. Yeah, love. Covers well, I think if we if we focus in on it, it means that um, Christians, if at all possible, should o- overlook, not o- should absorb. I don't know what the right word is. Uh, sins that are committed against them. It, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't um, exercise like church discipline on a sinful, unrepentant member. It's not. Sure. It's not yeah. precluding that sort of thing, but um, and I think it's almost the opposite. It's like you know, if somebody I don't know, that I don't have a relationship with, hasn't shown me love in great areas, comes to me and says, "Hey, you need to fix this," or "Hey, this is wrong," or "Hey, you know, your nose is big," <laughs> you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take that very well, right? But if somebody who's invested in me, loves me, cares for me, shares something like that with me, it's probably I'm probably not going to like it. Bring some discipline to me. I'm probably not going to like it right away. But the relationship that we've had, the love that they've shown, is going to overcome that. It's going to allow me to be able be to be disciplined. To, we should always be ready to forgive unkindness towards us. I think yeah. that that love, sure. and, and I and I know like we're on diff, sort of different sides because you're talking about you know you you build a relationship of love with someone so they can take it easier. But I'm talking about the love that comes from me, even if the and here's why I say it because. If I have a relationship with God, love was his idea. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't, like people often say, well, I'll show them respect when they show me respect. Mm-hmm. I'll show them love when they show me love. But they may not have a relationship with Christ like I do, because if love is his idea, I should be learning it from him and showing it to those who don't love me. Yeah. And so I should, my love should cover the sins that they commit mm-hmm. against me. I should be ready to forgive and overlook their unkindness. Why? Not not because of anything in them. It's because I'm learning love from Christ who showed love to me. Yeah. And so I, I'm, it, it flows out for me, not necessarily yeah. always towards me. And he demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, yep. he died for us. And you think about this even as a parent relationship. My kids could do a lot of things to me, that's, but I'm not going to stop loving them. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd be disobedient or yell or throw something at me or... Um, the basketball court goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Connor's laughing. I, I, last night, my kid's basketball goal created a deep, deep, <laughs> deep scratch in the side of my passenger door. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my kids could do a lot of things, and it's not, I'm not going to stop loving them. Sure. Because, and it doesn't matter, you know, if they were ill intentioned or whatever, because my love is greater than that. So I see what you're saying there, Shane. Mm-hmm. 
All right, he goes on to say, be hospitable. And this is where we talked about the hospitality of Jesus. To one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Now, when I read verse 10 here, it immediately takes me to one of our core values here, which is we believe everyone is called to be on mission. Everyone has a gift that they can use for the kingdom. How does this first connect with that core value of our church? Well, he says there, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others. So this is this idea that everybody inherently has some value and something to give. They have some worth to themselves, and they can give and do something. And it it's so easy, I know especially for me, and I assume it's the way for other people, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I can so easily focus on what I lack as opposed to what I have. I guess I have a, a, a scarcity mindset, right? That I, I, I'm only concerned about the things that I don't have. Oh, no, blah, 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 blah. And the problem with that is you end up ignoring the good things that God has given you. Right. And when you ignore those things, he's actually given you opportunities. He's given you ways that you can actually care for other people. Right. So when you're focusing on what you lack, you're not only just being disrespectful to his gift, you're not even using the thing that he has given you to serve other people. Yeah, right. there's a in these two verses, um, if I brought them together, because he says, use it to serve others. Others is a very broad, ambiguous term. It, sure. it means everybody else. But then and if you back up to verse 9, it says, be hospitable one to another. He's talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. So... Um, if I could couple those two verses together, what, what I think is understood is we, we are hospitable to everybody, but, but there's even more so to those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have an extra obligation to be hospitable um, to them. Yeah, and sure. he throws in that verse, without complaining. Yeah. See that's a, <laughs> see that's that's the thing that's hard sometimes because it yeah. like in, especially in the south you're like okay I'm gonna do this because this is what you're supposed to do you know right um, but I don't really want to do it like um you know uh, I have a problem with doing it like I uh, I'm gonna grumble a little bit when I do it I'm gonna complain but we're like I'll do it because that's what's expected of me and but I, and so I think he's talking about the attitude of course he is talking about the attitude it's like you man you ought to have this attitude that man I'm I'm thankful I get to serve you uh, instead of saying I'm just serving you because that's what I'm supposed to do. And it's easy to get in that, you know, in that mindset. So he's saying, look, you need to have this attitude. Here at Awaken, I think it's really cool, you know, on Sunday mornings, um, I'm going to call out somebody here. Miss Sydney, she comes in, um, she comes in early every single Sunday morning. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, Personally, she beats me all the time. Oh, there's been and, Sundays she beat the entire staff. Yeah, here. and yeah, so yeah, yeah. she comes in, and, you know, that's the first thing that she does. Um, she does it so well. And there's so many other people in our at our church that serve, that serve so well. I mean, in the kids' ministry, in the worship team, behind the sound booth, all these things. And it's so cool to see their gifts and how they can do it so well. Oh, sure, yeah. And how Miss Cindy does that and everybody else. So, yeah. yeah. And, and just she gets here early. Because yeah, we want coffee made for first time guests, and that and that's what I'm saying. I think you know the we got to serve others, but especially to those who are brothers and sisters Christ. She doesn't get here early to make coffee for guests. I mean, she does, but she gets here that early so that the staff and those who are volunteering. So if they want to 
have a cup of coffee before they go to their area that they're going to serve in, mm-hmm. it, it'll be ready for them. And I think that's above and beyond um, yeah. just, you know, just serving. I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, you could, you, we didn't ask her to do that. Thank you. We, you know, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I got a, I get a hot cup of coffee just about as soon as I walk in the door every yeah, Sunday right. morning. That's what I'm saying. I mean, she does, she does that for us and for all those who are serving. And then she makes more pots for all those who are going to be coming <laughs> yeah. um, through the doors as a guest. Um, that, that and Sunday. not one time, you know, we're, we're just pointing out one servant here. We've got a lot to do that sure, and yeah. that serve out this attitude, but not one time have I ever heard Cindy complain about it. Yeah, and uh, that's that's what Christ is calling us to do. And he even says here in verse eleven, if anyone speaks, let it be with as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. And that that's the heart of serving is to serve out of the strength that God provides and out of communion with Him and using the gifts that He's given us. And when we do serve that way, we serve out of His strength and in the gifts He's given us. It's refreshing. Mm-hmm. It's fulfilling. Now, there are times when we serve um, out of those things. We serve out of our giftingness, and sometimes we're called to do that, and sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we serve out of our strength with Christ, which to me would mean we're not in close communion with God. And so we kind of lose perspective of why we're serving and the reason we're doing it. And one of the things we do here is we try to equip people to serve out of those strengths. We try to remind them how they serve connects with the kingdom. Um, We try to help them serve in their giftness. Like we have another lady here named Miss Peggy who she came and she said, listen, let me tell you what my gift is. It is cooking. Mm-hmm. And boy, is her gift cooking. Uh, she is very, very good at it. Very much so. And, um, you know, she she cooks lunch with pastors and um, cooked our last volunteer event and those things. And when you do that out of an area that you're good at, God's gifted you at, and you connect it with why it matters, man, it makes all the difference in serving. Yeah, the verse that comes to mind is uh, Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, do it from the heart. It's something as something done for the Lord and not for people. So he's not, they're not doing it for us. They're doing it for, you know, for the King, for, for Jesus. You know, the way that they display and how they're serving is displaying Jesus. All right, that's going to wrap us up for this week of the Wordsmith Podcast, First uh, Peter chapter 4. We'll be back with you guys next week, and go Braves. No matter how you listen to the Wordsmith Podcast, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or anywhere the podcasts are played, like us, review us, and it's our prayer that these discussions help you grow in your walk with Christ. You guys have a great week.